0: for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. God bless you for being here today, on this Sunday before Christmas Eve. Boy, it's getting here fast, isn't it? And you know, speaking of Christmas, Starla, my wife, and I, we really, We really, really love Christmas. But what's interesting is we love Christmas for different reasons. Now, Starla, (laughs) oh my, she loves decorating the house. She loves decorating the tree. I mean, and shopping. Do I need to even go there? I mean, she shops so much until it wears me out. Not to mention our checkbook. Whew. I mean, Starla gets excited about giving gifts. She gets excited about the wrapping paper, the bows, the lights, the parties, all the time with the family. Matter of fact, based on her size and her love for Christmas, I think she might be an elf. (laughs) Could be. Could be. Starla loves the festivities and the fanfare. Now, I also love the holidays when they're over. <laughs> yes, I admit it. I admit it. I can give Scrooge, the Grinch, and even Mr. Potter a run for their money. Although, I have to say that I do seem to be popular at Christmas time. Because I see relatives that I haven't seen since the last Christmas. They show up. And I guess that's because there are three stages to a man's life. First stage, he believes in Santa Claus. Second stage, he doesn't believe in Santa Claus. And sadly, the third stage, he is Santa Claus. And so, you know, it's interesting to watch the difference between how Starl and I relate to the Christmas holiday. We both get excited about Christmas, but we get excited about Christmas in different ways. And this Christmas season, the theme here at church has been follow the star. And the one thing that Starla and I do agree on, the thing that we are adamant about is the star that is the star of our life, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the mighty God. Jesus Christ is the reason for the season and always will be. Make no mistake about it. And I am sure that you feel the same way. But apparently... Apparently, we are in the minority. The Barna Research Group conducted a poll for the Lutheran Hour Ministries. And this poll found out that only 37% of adults in this national survey, which, by the way, 88% of these people identified themselves as Christian, but only 37% of the adults in this survey said that the birth of Jesus Christ is the most important aspect of Christmas. Does that surprise you? It did me. I mean, family time, giving gifts, Santa, and even a paid day off of work has replaced the birth of Jesus Christ as the most important aspect Of Christmas. And so as our world has become more non-spiritual, well, ministers find it more and more difficult to tell this glorious story in a way that will capture the intention of a secular world. And really, for that matter, the church world. Because after all, even if you're a saint on the front row or you're a heathen, you've really heard the Christmas story since you were born, Right? And so today, I want to try and approach the Christmas story, this story of all stories in a way that that teaches us about our God, but, but not only for this festive season, but so that we can have Christmas all year long. And so it's very important that we as Christians discipline ourselves That we don't get overwhelmed in the tidal wave of marketing and secular ideas that cause people to get away from what Christmas is really all about. Because the fact is, friend, there is no way that you can really celebrate the true worth of Christmas and leave Christ out of the mass. He is everything to the story. It's not important whether he was actually born on December 25th or not. The reality is that it is not only a biblical fact, but a historical fact that Jesus Christ lived and he impacted this world like no one else in all of history. He lived 33 years on the earth and in three years of ministry, he revolutionized the world. How'd that happen? Well, John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made. In Him the Word was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. And the Word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it doesn't stop there because then it finally crescendos at the end of three years and Jesus Christ goes to the cross and pays the ultimate sacrifice and dies for you and me. Friend, that is what Christmas is all about. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That is the story of Christmas. So there are things from the early life of Christ that will help us not only to have appreciation for the holidays, not only to get a warm and fuzzy feeling as we roast chestnuts over an open flame drinking a glass of eggnog, but will also help us as we transition into a new year and face new obstacles, new trials, and new Opportunities. So the first thing that Christmas teaches us is that man has nothing to do with God's promise. Man has nothing to do with God's promise. In Luke chapter 1, verse 28, the angel came to Mary and said, Rejoice, rejoice, Mary. You are highly favored and blessed among women. You will bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And then Mary says to the angel, verse 34, How can this be since I do not know a man? And through their conversation, Mary begins to realize something that we all have to understand if we're going to be effective in life and be an effective believer. And that is the fact that man has nothing to do with God's promise for you. Well, what are you saying, Mike? I'm saying that Almighty God does not need the help of man, nor his potency, nor his potential, nor his performance, to perform his word in your life. In fact, man can be totally oblivious to what God has spoken to you. You can be ostracized, you can be criticized by those around you, but if God says he's going to do something in your life, God will do it. And there is not a thing man can do to stop it. Now, I don't know what God has promised you. I'm pretty sure that he's not promised you to birth a physical Jesus Christ. I'm just saying. But perhaps he's promised you a business. Perhaps this year, like my daughter, you're birthing a baby. Perhaps you're birthing a ministry. And as you look at these things in the natural, you don't see any possible way. But God has spoken something in your spirit and you're staggering at his promise saying, Lord, I can't do this. I don't have enough help. I don't have enough resources. Well, friend, I want you to know that God wants you to know and understand that in 2017, just like in nine months BC, man has nothing to do with God's promise. If God promises you something, he is more than able to deliver on that promise. In fact, verse 35 says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary. And then Mary says something that's key. Verse 38, let it be, not the Beatles tune, the let it be. Not that let it be. The Bible let it be. Let it be to me. According to your word. In other words, friend, what you need to fulfill the promise of God is not the words of men, but the words of God. And we spend way too much time seeking the approval of people. You don't have to live very long until you realize people accept you one minute and reject you the next. Mommy, Terry said she doesn't want me to be her little brother anymore. I can remember it like it was yesterday. No, I think you were 18 at the time. That's when it was. 18. But friend, if you build your dream on the opinions of people, on the opinions of people, that dream will crumble around your feet because people are so fickle they will change on you in a New York second. And because of that, our anthem needs to be My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You don't have to have man, you don't have to have man's approval, you don't have to have man's money. Calm down now, big boy. Let's not go crazy think I've gone off the deep end now because what do we think? We think it's man's money that opens the door. But folks, the fact is, if God said it, you don't have to be able to afford it. It's God's problem. And the angel summed it up when he was talking to Mary in verse 37, when he said, for with God, nothing will be impossible. So that means people don't have to embrace you. People don't have to support you. You don't have to have man's approval. In fact, you may have man's anti-approval. You may be the center of man's criticism. Think about it. Everyone was gossiping about Mary. Her fiance was even trying to put her away. But no one can stop what God has blessed. And you need to stand your ground and be confident that just like Philippians 1 says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We need to stop being trying to be so politically correct and trying to make everyone love us. I don't know what you're believing God to do in your life. But on this Sunday before Christmas Eve, man has nothing to do with God's promise. And so I dare you to allow his promise to kick you in the gut and then be tenacious enough to hold on to your dream. Don't abort that baby. It may be hard. It may be controversial. You may have pain. But if God started something in your life, don't give up just because you're facing a little opposition. Because if you will hold on to it, God will bring it to pass because man has nothing to do. With God's promise. Second thing I want you to get out of the Christmas story is that great things are often born outside of the system. Great things are often born outside of man's plan. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 says, And Mary brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them. At the end. In other words, there was no organized support system. There was no structure to accommodate what she was going to deliver. Well, friend, make no mistake about it. Every person that is sitting in this room, God wants to impregnate with destiny. But you need to understand that great things can often be born outside of man's way of doing things. I mean, sometimes a system will lock you out, sometimes the system says off limits it'll leave you out in the cold at a vulnerable moment. Have you ever gone outside in your underwear to get the newspaper and the door locks behind you? That never happened to me. I just hypothetically. See, it's one thing to be locked out, but it's a whole other thing to be locked out at a vulnerable moment, isn't it? Kind of drafty. Whew. But great things are often born outside of man's system. So you don't have to wait for the system to open up the door or for man to make a way because God has a way of doing things in strange places, in strange ways, in alienated places, even in places that have been rejected by man. Who but God would allow the greatest of kings to be born in the humblest of places? Who but God has such a sense of humor that he will step outside of man's way of doing things and says, hey, I don't care if you don't let my child have his prophecy because I can do things outside of the way that you do things. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says, for we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. And you haven't been a Christian very long until you know the enemy has ways and is a master of Devices and systems. He always has a plan in place to keep you from getting what you're supposed to have. And because of that, sadly, many people have given up on their dream and their promise because the system said there was no room in the end for what they believed. There's no room for faith. There's no room for the Holy Spirit's conviction. There's no room for them to carry their cross. There's no room for God's commandments in their life. They make room for everything else, for music, for hobbies, for fun, for anything and everything. But when it comes to faith in God, the world screams there is no room. But the good news is, even if you're in a barn... With nothing around you but sheep and oxen and cattle, even if you have to give birth to your dream and wrap it up in swaddling clothes, you do not have to let the circumstances diminish the greatness of God's problems, of God's promises. So don't be intimidated. It may not be the ideal circumstance, but it can still be the ideal ideal promise because there is room outside of man's plan. We just have to think outside the box. Friend, God will help you do something new. He will help you define, redefine history. He will help you change destiny. Because great things are born outside of man's way of doing things. Now, you can wait for a room at the Hilton. You can stay in your comfort zone. But friends, sometimes you have to be willing to endure A little, a little, and be a little uncomfortable to receive everything that God has for you. I mean, do you realize that everything Jesus did, he did outside of man's system? He did it outside of the political system. He did it outside of the religious system. I mean, think about it. Nobody hated Jesus like church folk. Jesus was more controversial to religious people than he was to secular people. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, church folk, who were trying to kill him. Jesus worked outside of the system. I mean, as we've seen, he was born outside of the system in a barn. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 12 says, So Jesus also suffered and died outside of man's system. He died outside the city gates to make us holy by his own blood. Jesus hung between heaven and earth, stretched wide. But I thank God that he put Jesus in a place where I could still reach him. That means I don't have to buy my way in. Nobody has to vote me in. Nobody has to like me because if God be for me, he is more than the world against me. Of course I can find God when things are going my way. Of course I can find him if, if I'm in a palace. But I want you to know God put Jesus where I can find him even if I'm in a barn. Even if I'm in a terrible situation. I can even find Jesus in a hog trough because you can't keep me from Jesus because great things are born outside of man's conventional system. Great missions. Great companies. Great visions, great inventions often come outside of man's way of doing things. Idea number three is, everyone who follows you ain't for you. Now that ain't good English, but it's true. When Jesus was born, there were a lot of people looking for him, but everyone wasn't for him. Not everyone was looking for him to wish him a happy birthday. Matthew chapter 2, verse 8, and Herod sent the magi to Bethlehem to search for the young child. Herod said, when you have found him, bring word back to me that I may come and worship him also. The wise men, the shepherds, they were looking for Jesus. They wanted to worship him. But Herod was looking for Jesus too. He wanted to kill him. And so don't get too excited if you're popular with people because everyone who follows you is not necessarily there to help you. There are some people who, while looking for you, are looking for ways to destroy you and undo what God is wanting to do in your life. Now thank God for shepherds and the wise men, but don't forget about Herod. Because Herod is looking for you also, and his name is the devil. And whenever God begins to do something in your life, there's no doubt people will gather to see it. But everyone who follows you isn't with you. Herod hid his true motives and framed himself to be a worshiper. But he was trying to kill Jesus because Herod was intimidated by what Jesus would become. And there are people who are intimidated by what God wants to do in your life. You don't understand why they're intimidated because really what you're doing right now is pretty small. Kind of like the trouble I'm having with my microphone. It's really kind of small, but it's bothering me for some reason. That's better. You don't understand the intimidation. Because what you're trying to do now, what God's called you really isn't that big. But you see, Satan knows that small things turn into great things. When my dad came to this church in 1969, they had been without a pastor for a while. Things were tough. Where you're sitting right now was a vacant lot that was for sale, that was mortgaged. The NX next door was mortgaged to the hilt, and the church treasurer wrote letters to the people, to the members, asking them to prepay their tithe so they could make the mortgage payment. When we came, it was in August, it was hot and sweaty. None of the air conditioners worked. <laughs> Try getting people to come to church now with no air conditioning in August. Good luck. The church didn't have the money to fix the air conditioners. The offering on that first Sunday wasn't big enough to even make the payment that was owed on the piano. The piano even had a mortgage on it. We had just come back from living in Hawaii. Yes, that Hawaii. And I wasn't here very long until Terry and I realized we weren't in paradise anymore, Toto. Well, Satan told my dad, Dan, you're never going to get anywhere. You're never going to be anything. Man, you've bit off more than you can chew. And so there was so much warfare when there was really so little to work with. But you see, Dan knew then what through history we know now. The devil wasn't fighting over where this church was. He was fighting over where this church was going. And God had prophesied to Dan that through suffering, he had prophesied that through hard times, something great was going to happen at 40th 40th and South Penn. So friend, if you are right with God, there's no way you'd be going through what you're going through if something great wasn't going to happen in your life. There's no way you'd be facing the opposition that you're facing now if God wasn't going to make a way for something incredible in your life. Listen, I hate to tell you this, but not everyone who smiles at you is your friend. But I also want you to know that man has nothing to do with God's promise for your life and you don't have to be boxed in by man's system. Now, this next point is difficult in this day of social media and instant sharing. Oh, my goodness, I have a new vacuum cleaner. Let me put it on Instagram. Oh, look, the baby has its first poo. Let me Snapchat it. Here's my point. Keep your gifts hidden while they grow. Keep your gifts hidden while they grow. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to, Joseph in a, appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now, friend, just because you're anointed, just because you're gifted, just because God has called you to do something, it doesn't mean that you can be careless. Even if God has birthed something incredible in your life, it doesn't mean that you should post it on Facebook. Because you, you can't always let everyone know your business. Keep your gifts hidden while you grow. Mike, where are you even going with this? Well, I mean, what's the point of this? Well, I'm going to tell you what the point of this. In Genesis chapter 37, if Joseph would have understood this, his brothers would have never thrown him in the pit. He would have never been in Potiphar's house, and he would have never gone to prison. Joseph's mistake was that he exposed his dream too soon. Because you have to remember, not everyone who follows you is for you, so you might just be laughing and talking with people that really might like to kill you. You could be sharing your prophecy with people who are jealous. See, the mother of Moses understood this. For when Moses was a baby, Exodus chapter 2 says that she hid him for three months until he could no longer be hidden. You see, there are some things that are growing inside of you that you shouldn't just share with anyone. So keep your gifts hidden while they grow. Isaiah chapter 30 says, In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Because, friend, the fact is not everyone can handle your promise. People may talk about you. They might laugh. You might even look for a while, like, like a fool for a while. But I want you to know weeping only endures for the night. But it is joy, joy, joy that comes in the morning. What that means is it may not be time yet so you just have to hang on until morning comes but at the breaking of day God is going to show up strong in your life and the last will be first and the humble will be exalted. So friend, don't give up. Don't give in and God's promise for you will come to pass and there won't be any doubt that it was Almighty God who brought you through. The last Point I have with the Christmas story that I want to make today is always be willing to lose what you have in worship. Always be willing to lose what you have in worship. This mother, Mary, she endured so many things. The criticism being pregnant out of wedlock. She faced the difficulty of giving birth in a stable. She had to flee for her child's life. And then to top it all off, when she went to the temple to worship, she lost Jesus. Have you ever lost your kid at Walmart or Disney World? It'd be pretty traumatic, can't it? Well, Luke chapter 2 tells a story about Jesus. And my point is this, always be willing to lose what you have in worship. In other words, don't let Anything becomes so important to you that you can't lose it in worshiping Almighty God. Now, Mary had to be a good mother because God wouldn't have entrusted her with Christ if she wasn't. If she wasn't a good woman, if she weren't responsible, God would have not said, Mary, you are highly favored. You are blessed among women. If Joseph couldn't have been trusted to be the father, the earthly father of Jesus, God wouldn't have chosen him. Yet the very ones that God chose to to raise his son, when they got in the house of God, they lost their 12-year-old Jesus. Now, God didn't call DHS on them. God didn't say you've been irresponsible. God didn't say you should have been watching him closer. There was no rebuke at all. Because when Mary got in the presence of God, she lost herself in worship. Now, this kind of worship can't be taught. This kind of worship can't be faked. This level of worship where you lose everything in his presence, it can only be birthed in the heart of someone who has gained everything they have in the presence of God. This kind of worship doesn't come through playing games. It doesn't come through politicking. This kind of worship, this is the kind of worship that comes from an empty tomb that had nothing before God touched it. It came from someone who recognized that everything I own, God gave it to me. It's from someone who knows that if it had not been for the Lord who was by my side, I would have been swallowed up. It's from someone who made up their mind that neither height nor depth nor life nor death nor powers nor principalities will ever separate me from the love of God. And friend, what that translates to in our day and in our language is that means there's not a car that's so awesome that you need to stay home and shine it up and not come to church and worship God. There's not a suit or a dress or a pair of shoes that are so cute that should keep you from standing up, lifting your hands, and praising Almighty God. There isn't a college degree that makes you so important that you can stop worshiping God. Because after all, it was God who got you through college. It was God who gave you that stuff. It was God who even gave you your dog. See, some people think that they've gotten too important. They've gotten too sophisticated, too high and mighty to worship God. But I'll tell you one thing: when you were broke, when you were desperate, on your face, laying before the Lord, you were crying out, "Lord, I need you to help me. I see no way without you, Lord." But you know, now if the sermon isn't good, if the coffee isn't hot, if the air conditioning isn't right, oh no, no, we can't worship God. We're not comfortable. But friend, what we need to realize and what we need to get in our spirit is that worshiping God is a choice. It's not a feeling. You don't get up every day thinking you're going to run through a troop and jump over a wall. You've got to make that decision every day when your feet touch the floor that you are going to be an overcomer that day. But friend, I will tell you that when you were struggling and when you were depressed and when you are at your wit's end, you didn't care about the circumstances. You didn't care about your surroundings. You got lost in the presence of God. And you see, when Mary got in the presence of God, she forgot everything but the God who had given her everything that she had. And when we remember, when we truly remember everything that God has done for us, then we too will get lost in the presence of God. Bow your heads with me, if you would. Think of what Mary had to endure. She gave birth to Jesus, she raised Jesus, but then she had to follow Jesus from afar. Matthew 12, 46 said, His mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. Jesus was speaking to the multitudes. And Jesus got that word, but then he stood up and he pointed to his disciples and said, For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now my mom would have pushed through the crowd and slapped me silly if I would have said something like that. But not Mary. She didn't get offended, she didn't get mad. But you see, we need to be careful because there's a tendency to be a new kind of Christian today. And if you, don't, if you don't tickle their chin, if you don't make them feel warm and fuzzy, they get offended and leave the church. It's because they don't have any roots. But you see, Mary had put down roots in the promises that God had given her. So Mary followed, followed Jesus from the manger to Egypt through the temple even to the back of the crowd Mary followed Jesus all the way to Calvary's hill I doubt that there were many of the 5,000 that Jesus fed at the crucifixion and probably not many of the 70 that he commissioned to go out and lay hands on the sick at the crucifixion because John chapter 6 says many of his disciples went back and followed him no more So by the time Jesus got to the cross, there were only a handful of his people standing there. And there his mama stood, watching her child die. How could she do that? How is that possible? I mean, they hung Jesus between heaven and earth. And Mary watched her baby, her miracle from God die. The ground began to tremble. The sun refused to shine. Jesus Christ died, and the veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom, and the law collapsed and fell into the arms of grace. And when Jesus died, every curse that was against us was broken, every demon lost its grip. Satan was defeated, and Jesus Christ took the sting out of death and victory from the grave. But how could Mary do that? It's because she had put down roots promises of God Mary you have found favor with God you will give birth to a son and his name shall be called Jesus and he will save his people from their sins and then God made her a promise that he makes to you and me today for no word from God I never get tired of the Christmas story. And it's wonderful that it can apply to our life all year long. But just like Mary and Joseph lost sight of Jesus in the temple, perhaps you have lost sight of Jesus in your life. And so maybe today you need to reestablish roots with the Christmas story. Not just that a Savior was born, but that a Savior was born to save you from your sins. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you need Jesus Christ to come into your heart, you need to be born again today. Would you raise your hand? There are things in your life that you know are not pleasing to Him. so many promises made by God to us and the promise that was fulfilled in Jesus was the promise of salvation do you need Jesus in your life today? raise your hand if you do thank you now you may be here today and you have had the promise of God in your life God had birthed something in you and you're expectant with it. You're excited about it. But the passage of time, the cares of this life has caused that promise to fade in your heart. And today, and today you need to be reminded that no word from God will ever fail. If you need a promise from God to be revived in your raise your hand during this Christmas season thank you you know there are things that God has spoken to you and promised you but because of trials, tribulations, hardships they haven't come to pass but today you want to rekindle that flame, are there any others? thank you would you stand please All over this building. Altar workers, elders, would you come and take your place?